All right, good morning, everybody. A couple announcements before we get started here. Uh, the prayer tonight, we've moved to next Sunday at 7. Sorry, um, I just wasn't doing the logistics right in my head about the ice skating down in St. Joe as a church, which we're doing today also. That's at 3.30. Um, get down there at 3 at Bodie Ice Arena. Um, 3.30, you get to get on the ice. That lasts till 5.30 or so. Then we're going out to eat, or anybody that wants to can just kind of go out and we'll meet someplace and eat. So logistically, we wouldn't be able to get back for that. So I wanted to make sure we had uh, we weren't rushed. So um, we moved prayer to next week, uh, January 12th at 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary. And I think that's it for announcements. Um, uh, I want to start off with prayer before we get into chapter 2 of 1 Kings is where we'll be. Yes did it right. Um, when you go topical for a couple weeks, you, you come back and you're like, are we in Genesis? Are we kings? I did it right. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example we have in today's text of one who is encouraged by his dad to walk after all of your ways, to follow your ways. And, um, and then there's a promise attached to that of, of things will go well for you. Um, versus someone who clings to the altar uh, only when in need, um, and that uh, that doesn't work out so well. And so, God, I pray that you'd, as JC prayed earlier, that we'd receive your word with gladness this morning, um, that we'd understand it, uh, and then we'd apply it and, and reap all the benefits of obedience to your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. David last week was put on his deathbed, but installed his son Solomon on the throne. Adonijah, his other son, had tried to take control of the kingdom. Um, it was a coup. David was still alive. And Bathsheba steps in and says, are you sure you didn't really mean uh, Solomon should be king? Well, of course I meant Solomon, David said. And so uh, they thwarted that coup, that attempt to overthrow the kingdom, and installed Solomon and, and everybody else scattered. And that's kind of where we left off. Adonijah came the other son, um, to David or to Solomon. And Solomon says, just go to your house. Stay there, basically. And that seems to be kind of the mercy rule um, for these guys is, I'm not going to kill you as long as, you, as long as you're a good boy, basically. So stay where I can keep an eye on you. Stay in your house. If you leave Jerusalem, you're in big trouble. And we see that even in this chapter, another person who's told to just stay put. Um, and you'll be fine. But if I see you moving around or doing things, I don't trust you. I'm not going to trust you. Um, if I see you moving around, I'm going to assume the worst, and we're going to follow through with the sentence I should have gave you. So that seems to be their mercy rule is to just stay in the kingdom. And so that's where Adonijah is. He's just staying there in his house and living under the authority of his brother, Solomon. And that's where we pick up our story. Um, there's a few verses we're going to stop at right away. I'm just warning you ahead of time, but then we'll pick up the pace as this is a long chapter. Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And he's going to go on. That's a comma, I know, but there's two separate things. Be strong and prove yourself a man. And the next part is keep the charge of the Lord. And so I want to stop with the be strong and prove yourself a man. Um, it's going to take a lot of strength for Solomon to rule a kingdom. It just does. If you're a leader, if you've been put in any kind of managerial position in your life, you understand that. Um, there's always that tug and pull. 
Um, every once in a while, your corporation, your, your office will have a meeting where we're going to just start buckling down again. And then a few months later, things get a little lax and we have another meeting. We're really going to start buckling down because our tendency, and this I think is a universal rule, is to decay. Our bodies are in decay. Some of us have 220 or 2020 some resolutions where we're going to stop this decay. You can try, you know, um, but you're going to go just like David said, all the way to the earth. The whole earth is going to die. We're all dying. Uh, you know, positive message from Calvary this morning. None of us make it out of this place alive except through the rapture. We're in, we're in a state of decay. Our body is, the earth is, everything. Um, David knows this. Solomon needs to understand this. And some young folks don't and haven't had that experience yet. They don't understand. They're, they're going to live forever. Their, their bodies are never... I remember caring when we were sheetrocking this place. I was working with some of the older guys in the church at the time. They were older than me anyway. And I was carrying two sheets of the, of the half inch or the, or the five-eighths inch drywall, you know, two sheets at a time. And, and some of the older guys said, you're going to wish you hadn't done that, you know? And I'm like, ah, you know, you're old. Kind of, no, I didn't say that. I was like, I, I, I believe you, and yet... I was in a hurry and that kind of thing. And, I, and I'm feeling it now. I didn't realize I was compressing my spine that whole time and leaning to one side is not a good idea. Some of us young folks just hadn't had experience in that yet, but now we know. Spiritually speaking, if we're not moving forward with Jesus Christ, understand that the Bible encourages us, you're going to be in a backslidden state or in a state of decay. It just happens. If you're not maintaining your walk with Jesus and moving forward with your walk with Jesus, to be sedentary spiritually in Jesus is to decay. You'll start slipping into old habits. You'll begin to compromise in areas that you didn't think you'd compromise in. It starts off small. No one, no one jumps back into their sin, but they slowly but surely find themselves inching back towards it again. Finding a, a more comfortable place because it's so uncomfortable over here like weight training, uh, like our 2020 uh, New Year's resolutions, like our going to the gym, boy, we go. And, and, and then our first leg day comes and we're fine until two days after leg day and you can't walk or move down the stairs anymore because your thighs hurt so bad. You're not sure you're just going to sleep on the couch tonight because getting upstairs is too painful. So next leg day, well, we're going to back off a little bit. You know, I think I've, I've jump-started things and Pretty soon you find yourself on the couch eating Oreos again and you're back to where you started kind of thing. It's in a state of decay. David knows this. Solomon, you're going to have to be strong. You have to prove yourself a man. And you prove yourself a man by in, in adversity, you move forward. You stay strong. You maintain your position with the Lord. You maintain your position as a king. You're going to need that. What do I do then? I've got a couple of verses here I want to give you. Both of them from Paul one to the Ephesians, one to the Colossians, but basically say the exact same thing. When I'm speaking to you, when you're speaking to me, here's what he encourages us to do. He doesn't encourage us to side with us on our backsliding or our sedentary state of spirituality so that we end up decaying. He tells us this, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's to the Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 
He's got the same message no matter what group he's speaking to. When you encourage somebody, don't encourage somebody in the flesh. Encourage somebody in the Lord. Don't give them your platitudes of worldly wisdom. Give them scripture that they can hold on to. It's only God's word that changes us from the inside out. There's a lot of motivational quotes, a lot of posters, you know, but they're no different than that original cat poster we had in the 80s and 70s that you put up, hang in there, you know, kind of thing. They're no different. They're no better. They're no more empowering. They're pleasing. Oh, it's a cute kitten in a fishbowl, you know, or hanging on by his claws in a tree. Hang in there. I can do it today. And that lasts about five minutes till you get away from the poster. But if you're meditating and chewing on God's word all day, that's why quiet times in the morning are probably the best time to have them. I'm not so sure I'm as diligent as I should be about morning quiet times. But there is something to be said for having God's word, the first thing that goes into your eyes, your eye gate, the first thing to go into your mind, and something then that you can hold on to throughout the day and to chew on, or by the Holy Spirit be reminded of when you need it. God's word. Paul tells the Ephesians and Colossians, you want people to be strong, encourage them in the Lord, encourage them in God's word, because our default is to decay. Now, verse 3. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, colon, here's your charge, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do. And whatever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Be strong as a man, prove yourself, but then keep the ways of the Lord. And keep is an important word. It's not to have, not to hold on to, you know, a leather-bound Bible on the dashboard of your car, but to actually do the things written in that leather-bound Bible on the dash of your car. It's a good reminder to have that in front of you, I suppose, and to keep there, but it's not a talisman against evil. You doing what God's word tells us to do is what keeps us from evil. That's what prospers our way. And he gives us a promise there. If you do these things, he doesn't talk about the Syrians. He doesn't talk about the Babylonians. He's not talking about anybody else on the place of the earth. Here's what you do with them. Here's what you do with them. Here's what you do with them. Well, here's what you do, and I'll take care of all the rest. You keep my statutes. You keep my word. You walk in all my ways with all of your heart and with all of your soul, and everything's going to be fine. We have similar scriptures that go along with that. Um, oh boy, I was going to say it later on, but I'll do it now. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. It's the same thing in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. Do the things God tells you to do, walk in his ways, and there's a blessing attached to that. He doesn't tell us these things because if you obey me, then I'll, then I'll bestow uh, promises and blessings upon you. I think sometimes we get like, a, like there's a reward for it. No, in order to navigate this world that you've been created in, the best way is to follow the instructions and it'll work out great. When you don't follow the instructions, you think there's a shortcut? To this day, I have this little cabinet in our bathroom upstairs that I read the first page of the instructions and I kind of got it. You know how you can kind of get it? I see where we're going with this. 
Well, there's supposed to be holes on both sides of the cabinet so you can put the little pegs in. And they made it so that one side doesn't have holes and the other side does have holes. So I've got on the right side all these holes. On the left side, there's none of these holes and there's a split in the level. So there's four pieces. So I just, I don't know what to do. Well, I had put them in the wrong spot. There's, there, there are no shelves on the bottom portion. There's only shelves on the top portion. And I put that bottom piece down here because I didn't follow all the instructions. And I don't want to take it apart. So there it sits with two giant spaces up there. You know, I'm just too lazy to undo the easy, easy, you know, little flip. You know how those things kind of pull it together. It's not hard to do, but I'm still, it still sits there with all the shelves stacked at the bottom because there's no place to put them. See, I kind of thought I knew where I was going with this, and I did get it together, but I, I missed some vital parts of the instructions. Our best life in this world, on this earth, under the authority of our Creator is to absolutely follow His instructions, and there are blessings attached to that just because you did it right. You can add shelves to your lives, and it can hold more things, and it functions like it's supposed to. God calls us to that. David encourages his son to do that, saying, God told me to do this. This was his charge. Guys, this is our charge in the New Testament. Nothing's changed. Do what his word says. Receive it with gladness, and you're going to be blessed. You'll be prospered. And it's not a prosperity doctrine, and I don't, I don't know that you'll get rich. You, you might, though, but it's not about that. It's about joy. It's about happiness. It's about um, peace. Um, it's about a, a, a clear conscience, you know, there, there's so much to be said for that, to have those things. This is so valuable. I don't think we realize how valuable they are until they're gone in our lives. And we've got guilt or we've got something that's held over us and we feel oppressed by our own hearts. A couple of scriptures to go along with this. The first one is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. As far as God's word goes, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness. All Scripture. You can pick anything and read it and enjoy it and apply it to your life, but it only works if it's received. It only works if it's taken in. Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that's fine, provided we follow through then and change course if we find there's a difference between where his path is and where my feet are. That's the whole point of reading God's word is where are you and where am I? And you're not going to move. I need to move. There's a parable, it says, of the sower. And I'm just going to read the explanation that Jesus gave as opposed to the entire parable of the sower, starting in verse 18 of Matthew 13. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For then tribulation or persecution arises because of the word. Immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But, and this is what we all hope to have in our hearts, he who receives the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. 
Worst case scenario, you get 30 in return. Best case scenario, you get 100. There's a promise attached to receiving God's word this morning that we're going over right now. It's an obscure chapter, chapter 2 of 1 Kings. Not one you'd normally write a plaque on or put up in your house or memorize even. And yet even in this text, we're going to see Solomon who's going to listen to his dad, receive his instructions, keep his eyes on the Lord, and do what he's supposed to do for the most part. For the most part, he's going to try to anyway. And things are going to go well. Now, it goes well monetarily and and, uh, materialistically for him, but spiritually he begins to slip and slide away. But he does get these instructions. David did it. David prospered. That's our key here. Solomon would have if he'd have stuck with it. So, with all their heart, with all their soul, do these things. Verse 5, moreover, you know also what Joab, the son of of Zeruiah, did to me. And what he did to the two command, commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom and do not let the, his gray hair go down uh, to the grave in peace. Don't forget Joab. Joab, um, well... Joab, it's, it's hard to explain. He was loyal to David, but, but he was rebellious against David at the same time. I don't know how those two things are possible, but as you read the text, if there's anybody with a complicated situation like that, it's Joab, you know? He, he always encouraged David to do the right thing as far as leading or this, that, or the other thing. And when David contradicted or went away from his uh, ideas or his advice, that's when that rebellion would fly out. So he really listened to himself only, thought he knew better than David, but was willing to be subservient to him as number two. As long as number two meant number one was going to do what number two said. You know, it's just kind of an interesting thing. And, and David says, you got to watch out for this guy. You can't let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. He's a blood letter. You know, he, uh, he, he's untrustworthy. Um, keep an eye on him. And, uh, and, and, and you really need to take him out because you're going to have nothing but problems with him. So David is giving him instructions. First of all, follow the Lord, be strong. And the first thing you need to do is you need to have to take out Joab. The second thing is, verse 7, but show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, the Gittite, the Gileadite, excuse me. And he let them be among those who, uh, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For So they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. In other words, they were a, a blessing uh, make sure his sons get a pension, basically. Let them stay there as long as they want to. Um, and see, you have with you Shimei, or, uh, Shimei, the son of Gira, a Benjamite from Burham, who cursed me with a malicious curse the day uh, when I went to Mahanam. Now, remember what happened there. That was that guy throwing rocks from on the other side of the, the creek or whatever, and it was really a, kind of a spaz. You know, he's just freaking out on the other side and throwing rocks, and David was like, and all, his, all David's guys say, can I go take this guy's head off his shoulders for you? You know, they're all open to that. And David says, no, no, I don't know if he's cursing me because of the Lord or whatever. Um, let him alone. Let him do what he needs to do. Let this be what it needs to be, you know. And on his way back, this guy asked for forgiveness. And David says, you know, as long as I'm alive, you're going to be alive, basically. You know, David's saying, when I'm dead, make sure this guy's not alive either, kind of thing. So he follows through on that. So, so be sure you take this guy out. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will, not, I will not put you to death with the sword. 
Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him, but bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. Okay, so he's getting some instructions here. We need some justice. Justice to Joab, justice to Brazilii, justice to Shimei. Now David dies, verse 10. So David rested with his fathers, and he was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. Now it's the first time we've heard that. David, oh, even, uh, even uh, Saul, when he started off, there was always that, I don't know you know, kind of thing. It was never firmly established. With David, he was always battling whether he should be on the throne or not. Um, but with Solomon, it's firmly established. And I think because of these actions he's about to take, he establishes it. He's, he's been, the, the, the transfer of power was while David was alive. So everybody knew who it was supposed to be. There was no conflict between those two. So there's no argument as to whether David thought he should be on the throne. Everybody knew that. But also because he's going to administer justice right away. He's going to let everybody know I'm not a pushover. You know, I've got grace and mercy for those who deserve it, and I've also got justice for those who deserve it, the bad kind of justice. Um, and so his, his, it, he's firmly established in all that he does here, his kingdom was. Now, Adonijah. Adonijah is the guy we just talked about when we started off. This is his brother who tried to take over the throne but was told to go to his room, basically. Stay in your house. Well, it's been a while. David's dead, Solomon's on the throne, Adonijah's going to test the waters here, and he's going to wish he hadn't. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So she said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. Now she says, peaceably, because are you going to kill me? You know, interesting to be in a, in a monarch situation and be among royalty. Um, I don't even know if, if this guy's coming to me peaceably or not. Yeah, I do, and I've got something to say to you. And she says, well, then say it. Then he said, you know that the kingdom was mine, and all Israel had set their expectations on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Now, I ask one petition of you. Do not deny me. And she said to him, say it. Then he said, please speak to, speak to King Solomon for he will not refuse you that he may give me Abishag the Shunammite as wife. Now, none of us probably understand this stuff culturally. You know, what's the big deal? What's the point? Well, it is a big deal. This is exactly what Absalom did to David. David getting kicked out by his own son, Absalom, that was the first coup against David, goes up to the top of the palace there and... Um, establishes his kingdom by taking David's concubines. Okay, I'm just going to leave it there since we have little ears in the room. Um, that was a way of showing I've got the kingdom. It's a, it's, a, it's a disrespectful thing, but it's also a power play is what it is. So what this guy's doing is not simply asking for Abishag, the Shunammite, who was the one that used to lay with David and keep him warm. That's who she is, but they never had physical relationship. But she was still considered a part of that household in that way. And so he's saying, I want her. Well, that's the same thing as what Absalom did. It's, it's no different culturally. So what he's asking is a big deal. It's just interesting the way he words it. Um, I, I know that my brother has this kingdom from the Lord. I'm going to reverse engineer this. I know that it's from the Lord, but 
everybody else had their heart set on me. There's just a little bit of bitterness there. There's a little bit of, you know, if it wasn't for what, you know? You mean if it wasn't for God, you'd be in charge? You know, think about what you're saying. Think about the conclusion. I, I, I'm trying not to bring politics in it, but I'm just amazed sometimes at some of the feedback we get from situations. It's like uh, that, that just recently happened, uh, the church shooting for one thing, and then, and then the taking out of the guy um, in Iran or the, the Iranian general. Is, it's how are, how are you falling on the side of the persons that were killed? How do you defend that? How are you? How does that make sense to you? Um, it just shows the divide is, is so vast. Um, uh, the the split, the, the difference in ideology and thought process is so so radically different that I, I I'm not sure there is there is a common ground at all. Um, of of course, the shooter in the church should have been brought down. Uh, of course, he should have been. But for some people, they're, they're well, that's, is that what we really want, our gunfights in the house of God? Yeah, we kind of do. Uh, if someone is shooting you people, there will be a gunfight in this church, and they will not succeed. And if that's a surprise to you, uh, I don't know, there might be a church in town that doesn't have a security team, but we do, and it's, we call them sheepdogs, basically. <laughs> Uh, we're going to make sure wolves don't take out the sheep. That's what it is. And so I guess fair warning, um, we do. And they're trained and we know what to do. We need more training probably. But um, it, it's bizarre to, to listen to Adonijah describe the situation as if he's been wronged somehow. Um, the, the mind just isn't working right. If it wasn't for God... All the people would have made me king. So you, you owe me this. You owe me this Abishag. No, we don't owe you anything, you know. Um, you should have never been in that position. I should have never taken that position. But that, nevertheless, she's in a tough spot. Remember, Bathsheba is the one that thwarted the efforts the first time. So she's not on board with this guy. She might be terrified of this guy, but she's not on board with him. Um, but she's brought him in. She said, say it, and 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 and. And this is what he's asked. So Bathsheba says this in verse 18, very well, I will speak for you to the king. Well, it's probably a good thing the king knows, Solomon knows that this is what this guy's thinking. Okay. Uh, she doesn't say, no, I'm not going to tell him. I'm not going to do that. She'd rather let the king know what the plans are. So I kind of understand. I don't know that Solomon knows that she's on his side or not, but either way, the information is going to get to him and Solomon's going to handle it. Bathsheba, therefore, went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother. So she sat at his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. I mean, what could mom possibly ask that would... Well... So she said, let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, his wife. And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, now why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, for him, and for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zeruah. I mean, don't you remember what happened last time, mom? So I'm not sure he's on board. I, I just can't imagine she is. So I guess I'm inserting my own feelings here, but 
Um, I don't think she's changed from chapter one to chapter two here. I just think he's, well, I think he's on edge for sure. I think he's got his eyes wide open as he's sitting on the throne for things like this. He's probably even gone over this in his mind, scenarios. And sure enough, here it is, my mom asking for Abishag. No, 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 no. This just smells funny. This doesn't pass the smell test, you know. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, um, who has confirmed... uh, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David, my father, and who has established a house for me, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, and struck him down and died. The last time he was saved by holding on to the horns of the altar, if you remember that. And David says, all right, we're going to let you, or Solomon says, I'm going to let you live. You just stay in your home and uh, keep quiet. Well, he didn't. Um, he's still thinking the way he's thinking, and, and now he's dead because he didn't do what he was supposed to do by just staying in his house. Now, 26. And to Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death, but I will not put you to death at this time because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abiathar from being priest to the Lord that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. Now, we've got to go way back for that. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. Eli was not disciplining his sons. Eli was the priest at the time, was not disciplining his sons like he should. Um, bad things happened, uh, and Eli was told by the Lord, you're no longer going to be a priest, and nor will anybody in your household be a priest. And this is the last guy. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy God gave to um, Eli clear back in 1 Samuel. And so finally, this guy is going to be taken out, uh, out of the priesthood. He's not going to be put to death, although he should be, um, Solomon says, but you're not going to be just go to your house, go to your farm, basically, and and do what you're supposed to do there. Um, So he's let off the hook. Verse 28. Then news came to Joab. Now, Joab's the last guy in this coup. We've got Adonijah, who's been killed. David, or Solomon has moved to the priest, who was a part of that last coup, and he's been set down. Joab knows it's coming, okay? So news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah, though he had not defected to Absalom. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. That's why I gave you the background just a few seconds ago. He's doing the same thing that... Um, Adonijah did to, to, to be saved, basically, from killing. So Joab, now, has this guy ever been documented going to the tabernacle ever? This is like the most religious, non-religious guy we have in the scriptures. This is a guy who would call on the name of the Lord, but would never worship the Lord. You know, there was no worship. Um, God wasn't his God. God was his religion, basically. I'm, I'm, I'm Israeli. Therefore, I'm with the one and true living God, you know. Um, but this is the first time he's darkened the door of this place or even been near it, it seems like. It's not a con- But he's holding on to the horns, and there's a danger in that. Um, there, there are so many people uh, with a religious relationship with God that are basically holding on to the horns of the altar, and that's what they're hoping on. 
They're hoping on sacraments. They're hoping on rituals. They're hoping on things they've done. They're hoping that the scales of justice will tip in their favor kind of thing by holding on to the horns of the altar. Um, And it's not going to work for them just like it doesn't work for him here. This Joab, spoiler alert, isn't going to, isn't going to make it out of the tabernacle alive. Um, Just some scriptures. Um, It's a long one, but it's Matthew 26, beginning in verse 31. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Their relationship with mankind was based on the relationship with God. And what they did for people was out of worship to the Lord. And God saw that and he's pleased. Their relationship with God worked. Their faith was working faith. Um, It was acted out upon. It was changed from the inside out to the point where they were being a blessing to people without the purpose of trying to tip the scales of justice in their hand. You understand? Uh, They worshiped the Lord, and the natural byproduct of having a true relationship with God was to be the person you were supposed to be. That's why it was confusing to them. We never saw you. No, 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 you don't understand. When you take care of people like that, It's like you're taking care of me. That's how I see it. Then he will also say to those in the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison? And did not minister to you. And he will answer them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. That's New Testament stuff. That's from the Lord. Now, there may be a little bit of a disconnect here in the sense that, well, yeah, but they just weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. Well, their relationship with God had not changed them enough to want to do that to people. Now, if they saw Jesus, well, of course, but people, eh, you know, and that's the relationship. I, I know I'm supposed to please the king. I know I'm supposed to do that. I know that's going to get me on your good side. So I'm looking for Jesus everywhere, but I didn't see you. So I didn't do anything about it. So to counteract that, so, we don't, so we're on the same page and we're, we don't mix our metaphors, maybe, if that's the best way to put it, is 1 Corinthians 13. There are people that actually go out in the name of themselves, and begin to prophesy, begin to take care of the needy, begin to do all these things. But it's a resounding gong to the Lord because they did it without love, without a relationship with Jesus. That's what this Joab finds himself. This is where he finds himself. He finds himself holding on to the altars. Did he ever take care of people? For, for God's sake? 
David did all day long. David, what a great example of the only reason I'm fighting, the only reason I fight Goliath, the only reason I throw myself into these battles is because of the Lord and my love, my shepherd's heart for the people. Joab, I'll fight him, but just because I want to stay on top because it benefits me. Anyway, we see him holding on to the horns of the altar here as a religious person all of a sudden, but it's not going to do him any good, nor will it do anybody good in this life either, in this day and age as Christians. When we grab onto these altars, hoping that somehow a, a sacrament of some kind is going to save us, that's some kind of plus in our column and not a check mark, I think we're going to be sorely disappointed, or they will be anyway. And King Solomon was told that Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. And there he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go and strike him down. So Benaniah went to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, Thus says the king, Come out. He said, No, but I will die here. And Benaniah brought back word to the king, saying, Thus says Joab, and thus he's answered me. He won't come out of the church. He's still holding on to the horns. He won't come out like you want him to. What am I supposed to do? And the king said to him, Do as he says, and strike him down and bury him, that you may take away from me and from my house and from my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. Solomon is doing this out of true justice. True justice is if I don't punish this guy for what he's done in the past, then that blood that he spilled is on my head because I am responsible. If that isn't a, the best and most clear understanding as to why we are under the authority of a just God and why he does what he does and why there's a hell to begin with, then I don't know any other scriptures. This is the perfect example why does God do that? I mean, why is there even that kind of punishment? Why is it? Because if he doesn't, then that guilt of whatever anybody's ever done is upon him. And he won't do that. He made one way of salvation, that's through his son Jesus. And those that reject that have those sins upon their head and justice will be exacted. It will be taken. And so many people without Jesus are going to cling to the altar and he's going to say, that's not what I asked you to do. I didn't ask you for the sacraments. I didn't ask you for this, that, or the other thing. All those things that were works that you could do to put pluses in your column and take out the check marks and make the scales of justice fall in your favor. I never asked you to do that. I've asked you to trust in my son Jesus and my way of salvation. And that, the one act of obedience you needed to do, you didn't do. Instead, you tried to find your own way. There aren't any shortcuts. There aren't any loopholes. There aren't any ways to walk in this world and to try to receive all the blessings associated with being obedient to God's word without being obedient to God's word is impossible. God says your best life is in obedience to my word. You got to do it though. There aren't any other ways around it. So when I find myself in my life being disobedient to God in this, that, or the other thing, I can't expect or complain or shake my fist at God as to why are these things happening to me when I haven't done the first thing he's asked me to do was to walk in his ways and to receive his word with gladness and apply it to my life and do those things. We are forever trying to find shortcuts around obedience and there just aren't any. In order to get to heaven, everybody on the face of the earth has one thing to do. I don't care what religion they belong to. 
They have to trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. There are only Christians in heaven. This is news to some people today. There are only Christians in heaven. And to say that out loud, if this gets broadcast, which it'll go on the internet anyway, it doesn't get on the radio, but to say that out loud today is even some hearts here this morning might have stepped back and said, think it through. There are only Christians in heaven. There are no, nobody else is there. Nobody else makes it. This getting along with everybody, this not wanting to offend, this not hurting, <clears throat> is not loving. That's the most hateful thing we can do, is to tell someone who isn't a Christian that they're going to be fine. Because they're not. That's a lie. Everybody that's not a Christian, when they die, goes to hell. Everybody. I don't care how much you loved them in this life. I don't care how close you were to grandma. I don't care how close you were to your uncle. I don't care how many pieces of candy they gave you, how warm you felt in their home. If they died without Jesus Christ, they're not in heaven. That's a heavy thing to say nowadays, but it shouldn't be. The most loving thing everybody in this room can do is to walk out of this place and tell as many people that truth. You need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The only way to get to heaven is by trusting in his way of salvation. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Believe on him. Be born again. Become a Christian, which means I'm going to be a little Christ. I'm going to walk in his ways. There's no holding on to the horns of the altar. That's not going to save you. Justice comes. There's nothing magical about a place or a sacrament or anything. It's believing on Jesus. Now, he had to do it. If I don't strike him down, the blood's going to be on me. So Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah, uh, though my father David did not know it, their blood shall be uh, therefore return upon his head of Joab and upon the head of the descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck and killed him. And he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaniah, uh, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the army, and, put, and the king put Zadok, the priest, in place of Abiathar. Now, Shimei. Shimei is the guy David said, this is the cursing guy, the guy throwing rocks, the obnoxious one on his way out of town. And David says, don't let this guy live. Verse 36, we handle Shimei. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there, and do not go out from there anywhere. For it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your head. So there it is. Here's your mercy. Go to your house, stay in Jerusalem, don't leave. Find a job here, you know. And Shimei said to the king, the saying is good. Obviously, I get to live today. I wasn't gonna, but now I get to. As my Lord, the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. I know, I'm shaking my head too. It's like it should say until the day he died. Well, <laughs> it kind of does mean that. Time tells a lot. The Bible tells us when we're going to find elders or deacons or things like that, it says, do not, do not promote a novice, lest they get full of pride like Satan did. 
So you let time just unfold. We'll give you grace. We'll give you mercy. We'll give you opportunities. We'll give you things. You said you wanted to serve the Lord. That's great. You said you want to do this. That's great. We'll give it time. And the more time you give somebody, the more their heart gets exposed and shown for what it really is, for what's really behind things, what was really the motivation behind it. Time. Shimei gets time. As long as you live in Jerusalem, you're going to be fine. Shimei said to the king, verse 38, the saying is good, as my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Now it happened at the end of three years. Just three years. Three years is a long time to be stuck inside of a city. He makes it that far. Two slaves of Shimei ran away to Akish, the son of Mekah, the king of Gath. And they told Shimei, saying, look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shimei arose, saddled his donkey, and went to Akish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shimei went and brought his slaves from Gath. And Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. So Solomon hasn't forgotten. Solomon still got guys watching his house. Solomon gets word, yeah, he left, got his slaves, and came back. I told that guy not to leave. Even three years later, this is what it means to be strong. Solomon is going to follow through on what he told this guy three years ago. He's not going to compromise. He's not going to say, well, I mean, he kind of had to go get his slaves. I kind of understand that. No, the rules were really simple, and he agreed to the rules. Stay in Jerusalem, and he said it was fine. Solomon's going to state, that's what justice is. Justice is so unfair. I said sarcastically with tongue in cheek. Justice is, no. I said, don't leave. Yeah, but it's been three years and I've been really loyal and all I did was go get the slaves. Yeah, all you did. I'm not compromising. I'm not compromising. He finds out about it. God has told us specific things. When you got saved, when you were born again, if you're a born again believer this morning, you had that radical moment, that change in your life. You're like, I've never been the same since. He told you specific things. He's told me specific things. These are areas that you don't get to compromise in in your life. You compromise in these areas and you're going to backslide. You're going to fall back into the enemy's hands. Stay clear of this stuff. Other stuff, it seems like, not sin, don't get me wrong. Like you can sin a little bit. That's not what I mean. I mean, this stuff isn't a danger to you for backsliding and walk away from the Lord, but these two, three, four, one thing, don't go near them. Those rules, I, I hold on to those things. I have them written down in my Bible. When I get a new Bible, after I fill this with, up with all my marks on them, I copy and paste everything God showed me not to do and to do, and I put it in the back pages, and I'm running out of back pages because he's telling me more and more stuff. These are things I don't get to go back on. These are orders from my commander who he has not rescinded. These are things that are perpetual. They go on. I'm beating a dead horse here, but I'm trying to drive a point home. There are some things in our lives that we know we can't go near. And if you ever get that in your mind, in your heart somehow, that you think now it's been long enough, I haven't been involved in that for so long, maybe I can step near to it now, please don't. Stay away from it altogether. Be careful if you think you're strong, if you think you stand unless you fall. Be careful about those things. God tells me to be careful about specific things, and I have to be careful about those things. No matter how long it's been since I've sinned in those areas, stay away from those things. And I do. He had a very simple task. You just live here in peace in Jerusalem. Keep your head down, your eyes on the ground, and you'll be fine. And he doesn't. 
Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, No, for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die? And you said to me, the word I have heard is good. I mean, this guy, this is three years ago. He remembers this. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? The king said, moreover, to Shimei, you know, as your heart acknowledges, all the wickedness that you did to my father David. Therefore, the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went down and he struck him down, and he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon, last enemy. Everybody looks at this king and says, man, this guy's not playing. He sat on the throne and he started being king right away. You know, he's a new king. We're not used to him yet, but boy, he's definitely showed us his hands. Here's what he's going to do. It's going to work for a while. The country's never going to be better economically, monetarily, spiritually, though. They decline. They fall apart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. These things are written for our admonition. And I pray that we were admonished today. Every bit of your word is useful for reproof and for doctrine and for instruction, God. We've been instructed. Whatever you had for us this morning, whatever each one of us received from you out of your word, Lord, I pray that we'd hold on to it, that we'd receive it with gladness, that it would be planted deep in our hearts, that we wouldn't let the cares of this world choke it out, that we wouldn't let the birds of the air try to steal it from us on the way home. And Lord, I pray that uh, the sun wouldn't scorch it as it begins to bear fruit in our lives and that we would bear that 30, 60, 100 fold. That there would be that blessing of obedience attached to it and help us to keep our eyes fixed on that, that blessing that's attached to your obedience. It's just a great place to be in obedience to you. There's peace there. There's peace of mind. There's peace of heart, peace of spirit. It's all there in obedience to you, God. Help us to walk closely to you. Help us to walk in a real relationship with you where we worship you in spirit and truth. And because of that, we're a blessing to those around us, God, that they sense Christ in us, that they truly believe that we're your hands and feet because we're so loving and caring and gentle, um, merciful, forgiving, God. That's what we want. So God, I pray that you help us on the way home as we chew on your word today. It's It's a meaty chapter. There's a lot there. I pray your Holy Spirit would instruct us, would lead and guide us into all truth, and that we'd be able to chew on this and extract everything we can, all the spiritual nutrition we can get out of this, God, that we'd be changed. Lord, bless these folks as they go today. In Jesus' name, amen.